and we'll begin to read with verse number 16, reading through verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. For several Sundays, we have been teaching about spiritual authority. Of course, last week we had a guest minister, and it was a great day, wasn't it? Brother Mike did such a wonderful job. Uh, and uh, so today we're going to get back into our study, and this is the fourth part on the topic of spiritual authority. And I want to read these verses before we uh, get too far into some other things. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, or subject to change, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Bible reveals to us the reality of two realms that exist at the same time. We're all aware of the natural and visible sensory realm. But also the Bible reveals to us that there is a spiritual realm, and that's the realm from which all natural things have come. We understand if we think for a moment that the natural realm is limited by time and space, by natural energy and forces, and by the laws that govern those natural components. But the thing we really want to zero in on and we're trying to learn more about is this truth The spiritual dimension has no such limitations. There are no limitations of time, space, no limitations of natural energy or strength. It has no limitations. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians here in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, he is contrasting these two realms. He's talking first in verse 16 about the fact that the natural body... Uh, is perishing or it is getting older, it is decaying, you might say, but that there is a renewal that goes on in the inward man on a daily basis. If we serve the Lord and we know how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we can be renewed every day. And it is amazing as we get older, we realize that we really don't get old inside, we just get old on the outside. And then he goes on to Uh, point out that the light afflictions, I think it's interesting that Paul would call what he went through light afflictions. Most people would have been, you know, they would really have problems with some of the things he did. He just called it a light affliction. And one of the reasons he could refer to it that way, and one of the reasons his perspective was so good, was because he understood that this realm is not all there is. It's not all about who likes you. It's not all about who is angry with you or who as hurt at you or offended at you or it's not all about who thinks you're valuable or not it's what God thinks that's what counts and he says while that that we can have the right attitude while we look not at things which are seen it sounds almost like double talk how can you not look at what you see well obviously he's talking about we're not focused on we're not moved by the things we can see naturally or we might also say through the things that our senses can perceive. The five senses have been given to us 
by God in creation that we might be able to function and, and do what we do in the natural world. But there is a realm beyond that. There is a realm of things which are not seen, he says in this verse. And he then contrasts the two. He says the things you can see are temporary. That means they're subject to change. And I might add this to it. They will change. They will change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, based on that truth, what of the two, which of the two is most important? It would have to be the spiritual, wouldn't it? So we come to understand as believers, if we study the Word, that we live in both of these realms at the same time. We are spirit beings having natural experiences. We're spirit beings having natural experiences. We are threefold in nature. We were created by God who is a triune God, and we are created a trinity. We are a spirit. You are a spirit. You possess, you have a soul, and you live inside a body. The body is the natural part. The soulish part is the, the part of intellect and will and emotion, feeling, we might say. The spiritual nature is the most inner part of our being. And that's the part where God lives. That's the part where God dwells. When you got born again, Jesus came into your life. You know, being born again is not just joining a church or identifying with a certain religious group. Being born again is having a real, genuine experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby we're changed. So much so that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Just what we were singing about a little while ago. It is so powerful and important to understand. Well, that change didn't come on the outside. If you... Uh, we're five foot four before you got saved. Then the moment after you were born again, you're still five foot four. If you were bald before, you're still bald. If you had a full head of beautiful hair, you've still got that full head of beautiful hair. Probably wasted on you. But anyway, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You've got to give me a little license here. But anyway, uh, you know, the change wasn't outside. And you also figured out, if you thought about it much, that you really didn't get an instantaneous mental attitude change per se, or you probably were happier and you felt lighter, you, you, know, you were rejoicing in the fact that you were born again. But as far as all your thinking and your thought processes and the things you will to do and not do, well, that, that took some time. Some changes might have occurred immediately, but there were other changes that had to occur over time. And that's what the Bible calls in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, the, uh, or 12.2, I think it is, that it's called the renewing of our mind. And that's our responsibility. You know, people come to the Lord and they've got all their stinking thinking from their past, you know, and they might have a little bit of grandma and a little bit of grandpa, a little bit of aunt so-and-so and uncle so-and-so, or a little bit of somebody we worked with. All these things get thrown into a pot and it produces indigestion spiritually. And so what you have to do is you've got to sort all that out. And that's why you need a Bible and you need to read it every day. And that's why you need to be in a place where you're taught the Word of God by someone who is called and anointed to teach. And, and uh, you know, if, um, if you're not getting fed spiritually, then you need to get somewhere that you are getting fed spiritually. And I say this from time to time, and I, I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. And uh, if I didn't really feel this way, I'd be kind of foolish to say it. But I will say it because I do mean it, and that is this. If you can get fed somewhere else better, then you need to go there. 
and tell me about it because maybe I can sneak there some myself because I, I, I believe that there's some good food at the table here. Amen. But anyway, we are responsible to renew our minds, but our spirit nature is the part that God comes to dwell in, and of course, that can be built up and developed as well. We are, uh, we are spirit beings having natural experiences. So what we're looking into and why we're studying spiritual authority is to understand how to function as spiritual people, yet dominating and affecting, in a good way, natural forces and circumstances. Don't forget that all natural things are temporal. You say, why is that important? Because whenever something happens in your life that's involved with the natural, you don't have to accept it if it's not good because it is subject to change. That's another way of explaining natural things. The things which are seen are uh, the things which are seen are temporal. That means they are subject to change. So your body is subject to change. Your financial situation is subject to change. Your family situation is subject to change. All of these things are are subject to change through spiritual power, through spiritual authority, through spiritual knowledge. And exercising our authority and using our faith, we can change anything in the natural that needs to be changed. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Mark eleven twenty three said, you can use your faith to move a mountain. Somebody said, well, is that a literal mountain or not? Well, whether or not it is, if you've got a mountain of any kind, whether it's a mountain of fear, a mountain of pain, a mountain of sickness, a mountain of whatever, it can be moved. I've never really needed to move a mountain. I've never, a physical mountain. I've never needed to deal with that. But I have had a few mountains of other stuff. Amen. And I have learned and I can testify you can move mountains with your faith. Amen. So one of the most important spiritual keys in this this whole thing is to understand spiritual authority, which is the right Listen carefully now to these definitions. They're important. I know definitions can be boring, but this is good stuff you need to get. When we talk about spiritual authority, we're talking about the right or the freedom to legally act, to take action, establish, decree, bind, loose, proclaim in such a way as to actually affect the natural realm through spiritual authority and power. Now, I know that's a mouthful, so I'm going to try to say it again. When we talk about spiritual authority, we're talking about the right or the freedom to act. And this is all legal because Jesus gave us this authority in the Great Commission when he told us that we could take his name and go into all the world. It's the right or the freedom to legally act or take action, establish, decree, bind, loose, proclaim in such a way as to actually affect or produce change in the natural realm through spiritual authority and power. Authority is the right to act. Power is the ability to act. Jesus has given us both. The authority came through his proclamation and declaration, and by the very fact that we are in Christ, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, In the book of Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named. 
That's a truth. And so we understand through this great uh, delegation of authority to us that we have the right to act, but we also have power to act because Jesus also said that you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to central Virginia, the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. And so we don't lack either the authority or the right to act, and we don't lack power or the ability to act. Now, all of this was delegated and proceeds from God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, and it is all detailed in the Word, your Bible, and it is all administered through us by the direction and the help of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to say that again because that's a mouthful, but, but it's so important to understand that, that our authority is delegated. So, see, when I talk about spiritual authority, I'm not talking about I'm a hot shot, you're a hot shot, we've earned it, we deserve it. I'm talking about something that was given to us or delegated to us. Delegated authority, which means that somebody else in authority above us has said, I'm going to share some of my authority with you. And that's what Jesus did. He said in Matthew 28, he said, uh, verses 18 through 20, all power, that word is exousia in the Greek, that means authority, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth, go ye therefore. So why did those two phrases get connected? Because Jesus was giving us his authority. He was going back to the Father, we're the go ye crew, we're the go ye. Notice that go is, is God's middle name. And notice he didn't say come back. He just said go. This is a journey you, you never turn back on. And we've gotten as far as Appomattox today on our way to heaven. And we're not going backwards. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so Jesus said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and uh, preach the gospel to every creature and so on and so forth. So it's delegated authority proceeds from God the Father through Jesus the Son, detailed in the Holy Word and administered through us, the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, the body of Christ, through the direction and the help of the Holy Ghost. So what that means is we need both power and authority, which means we need both the Word, the Bible, Scriptures, and we need the anointing or the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we read last time from Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, and I think we got over into Ephesians chapter 6 as well, about authority and power. And one of the things we established was, and let's go over to Ephesians. Just turn over a few pages in your Bible there to Ephesians chapter 6, for instance, in verse number 10. Now, we're not going to go back and reread and, and re rehash chapter 1, the Ephesians 1 prayer, which I advise you to pray for yourself every day. I pray for you for this every day, and I encourage you to join me and pray for yourself in this way. Uh, but, I, but also then Ephesians 2, we looked at that, how that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, far above all principality and power. That's chapter 1 again, of course. So we understand our seating, our position, we're in Christ. So in other words, we don't pray 
under the circumstances. Have you ever talked to somebody and they say, well, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay or whatever. And they, they talk about being under the circumstances. Well, in prayer, in praise, in relationship with God, in our worship life, and in our uh, communion with God, we are not under the circumstances. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You see, you will never grow strong in faith if you don't know who you are in Christ. It'd be like somebody that had a million dollars in a bank account, but they didn't know it. You could do without lots of things, but still have plenty of money. And so, you know, that's the same way a lot of believers are. They've got this unlimited supply of great and wonderful things. James 1.17 says, "Good, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so the truth is, there are all kinds of good and wonderful and blessed things available to us, but if you don't know they're yours and you don't know how to claim them, you don't know how to receive them, then you're going to do without. It would be no different than somebody with a million dollars in the bank going hungry. It just doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense for born-again, blood-washed, blood-bought, redeemed, Holy Ghost-filled believers to be doing without the benefits that Jesus bought and paid for at the cross. <coughs> and I tell you, I'm not going to do without them. People can get angry, they can get upset, they can criticize, they can do whatever they want to do, but I have found out that I don't have to be under the circumstance. Hallelujah. And so the blessing of the Lord, well, for instance, one scripture says, it maketh rich and hath no sorrow with it. The blessing of God includes divine healing. The blessing of God includes long life. The blessing of God includes the mind of Christ. It includes the peace of God. It includes freedom from fear and every kind of evil and seductive spirit that's out there. It is just a glorious thing to serve the Lord. I tell you, that's one reason we up here jumping around, shouting around, smiling and rejoicing. Because we're not just going through motions. This is life. This is life. Hallelujah. And so we're in a world that uh, is, is subject to change. We're in a world where there's much darkness, much evil, all kinds of junk out there going on. But yet we know who we are in Christ. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to enforce the victory that Jesus won. That's what we're doing. We're an occupying army, if you will. We enforce these things. And how do we enforce this? How is authority exercised? That's what I want to get to today before we close. How is authority exercise. And it's really simple. I want to give you two things. And if you'll remember these things, if you'll study these things further, put them to work in your life, your life will be different. Here it is. Authority is exercised primarily, number one, through the spoken word of a believer's mouth and particularly the scriptures. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, in describing the armor of God, he says, down here in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the what? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, he's not talking about paper and ink. The Bible, your Bible, is not a sword lying on the table. The only time the Word of God becomes a sword is when it comes out of your mouth. 
And that's exactly how Jesus defeated the devil. You can read about it in Luke 4. How the, when after his baptism and his anointing of the Holy Spirit, before his public ministry was launched, he went into the wilderness and he fasted, he sought after God, and the devil came and tempted him. And with every temptation that the enemy brought, Jesus returned the word. Every time it was, you know, the word says, the word says. I mean, he didn't say those words exactly, but that's what it was. It is written. It is written, it is written, he said. And he just beat the devil up with the word. And the Bible says that Satan departed from him for a season. So if you're really having a time with the devil sitting on your shoulders, as it were, talking to you and trying to give you a hard time about anything, or temptation is really just seems to be almost overwhelming you, whatever the case may be, I can tell you that if you will open your mouth, not just think about it, it's good to think about scriptural things, and that's wonderful. Meditation is important, but meditation, biblical meditation, is more than just thinking. It includes that, but it's also muttering, murmuring, saying. I mean murmuring in a good way. It means to say it, to repeat to yourself. In other words, you need to learn to talk to yourself. Sometimes that's the only way to have an intelligent conversation. It's just, you know, you've got to talk to yourself, and you've got to tell yourself how it's going to be. You know, uh, we just, in our household, we, we, we know what this means. It's, uh, you know, I, I tell, sometimes I've told Glenna, I just need to go say some things. She knows what that means. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to God. And I'm also talking so the devil can hear me. If he cares to listen, he needs to know where I am. I'm in Christ. I'm seated with him in the heavenly realms. He needs to know that I'm far above him. He's under my feet. If he wants to check me out, he's going to have to look up because I am not under him and I'm not under the circumstances. I need to speak the word of God. My body needs to hear the word of God. My mind needs to hear the word of God. Any evil spirits need to hear the word of God. And I'll tell you one thing, God is always listening for his word. And a matter of fact, he told us in Isaiah 55 that if we will return it, it will not return void. It will accomplish that which he pleases and prospers in the thing whereto he sends it. And so I found out that if I will speak God's word, declare God's word, shout his word, sing his word, rejoice over his word, read his word, learn his word, memorize his word. I found I can get so full of the word that the word starts coming out and it starts happening. Hallelujah. Now I know there are people who think that's a little far-fetched, but they just, they haven't, they just haven't done it. All the people that will tell you not to speak the word, all those folks who criticize the so-called confession message, all those people who criticize the so-called faith message are all people who don't do it. There are always people who don't do it, and they've got usually a ton of theological reasons. You know, some of these things actually, I'll be honest with you, they are so simple, you need a theologian to confuse you. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to just talk to preachers. He didn't come to just talk to people who sit around and, and try to, you know, nuance every little phrase and every little statement. He just said what he meant. In Luke 6, 38, when he said, Given it shall be given unto you again, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, men will give into your bosom. Everybody there that day knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew what he was talking about. And you know what? If you'll just take him at his word, you'll know what he's talking about. Somebody said, well, you know, if I, if maybe that scripture is not just for me. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't the Bible say this is for everybody but Joe? 
Excuse me, Joe. I don't mean you. This is for everybody but Nick. The Nick over there. Uh, you know, why, why? He didn't do that. It's his word. You know, I, I just almost, I could almost get amused if it weren't so pathetic. But I hear people, you know, they say, well, yeah, I tell you, you got to watch these people that talk about these scriptures like 3 John verse 2. That's just not for everybody. That was just John the Apostle talking to a friend named Gaius. And he said, Beloved, I, I wish or I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health. Well, let me ask you this question. Why in the world would God take time to inspire and to write such a thing that would just be only for one person in the whole world? If it was just for Gaius, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to have been his kid? Amen. Why is it that people, it seems like they work so hard to try to talk themselves out of the things of God. Now, you know, you call me a fool, you call me whatever you want to, but I have just learned that when he says it, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. And so the Holy Ghost inspired 3 John to be written. I'm just using this as an example because this is one that folks get hung up on so much. But he inspired 3 John to be written, and he also evidently inspired John to pray that prayer. If he had not inspired John to pray that prayer, then why would he have him write it to confuse us? So if the Holy Spirit inspired him to pray, and his prayer was, I pray, and the old King James uses the word wish, but, but the word is pray. I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Then why in the world can I pro- why can't I pray that prayer? Why can't I believe that prayer? Did God love Gaius better than me? I don't even know Gaius. <laughs> but I know this. I know God. And so as, this, as, as uh, over the years, as Glenn and I have learned some of these truths, we just started walking this out, we found that God is so happy when he finds somebody to believe him. You know, the truth is, really, that's all God's looking for on the earth is somebody to believe him. Somebody to believe what he said and act on what he said and be a doer of the word. And so spiritual authority, one of the primary ways that it is carried out and exercised is through the spoken word, particularly the scriptures, which become then and there the sword of the Spirit. And the second key, and this is where we're closed today, the second key is through the name of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that you can talk about any kind of so-called deity in the world? You can, you can quote from any religious system of the world, you can talk about all kinds of the, some of the most strange things that you can imagine. And people will kind of, hmm. You know, they, they kind of have, they take on this intellectual air about them. And, and uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll tolerate it. But have you noticed that as soon as you mention Jesus, the atmosphere changes? That's, that's. Because the name of Jesus, when we refer to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, incarnate God in human flesh, when you use the name of Jesus, there is no other name like that. 
no other name like that. In the book of Acts chapter 4, when the apostle Peter was preaching, I'd like for our musicians to come up because I'm going to sing this song about this verse. Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's just great to be the pastor. You can do whatever, you, you know, what, what are they going to do about this? Amen. No, you can't just do whatever, but they don't, they don't mind. But Peter... Well, i got to start in verse 10. Peter's preaching. And, amen. I'm glad y'all are enjoying it too. Praise the Lord. Peter was thrown into the prison. He was examined because of the things they'd preaching Jesus. And, of course, they'd, the power of God has been working. And so he, he says, and we'll just we'll jump into his message in verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. So this lame man was healed and whole. A miracle had happened, and everybody's wondering about it. So Peter's starting to explain to him that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So he's, he's saying there's no other name that's going to work. It's just, it's just this name of Jesus. There's power in the name. And he says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And then verse 12 is the verse I really wanted to get to here. Neither is there salvation in any other. So there's no salvation in Buddha. There's no salvation in Muhammad or these idol called Allah. There is no salvation in Confucius. There is no salvation in the secular uh, approaches to worshiping the planet and worshiping nature. None of those things. There is salvation, neither rather, is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And then over in the book of Philippians, Chapter 2 and verse number 9, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian believers and says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and that's speaking of Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I didn't write this. God had it written. And God spoke His Word so that it could be written, and it was written so that we could speak it. And when we speak the Word, and when we speak the name of Jesus, there is power released that no devil in hell can stop. There is no situation, there is no circumstance, there is no disease, no sickness, no problem, no, no need, no kind of demonic stronghold of any kind, anywhere, anytime that is not subject to the name of Jesus and the Word of God.
This is not about how we feel. It's not about how things look. This is not about what politicians say. It's not about what anybody says except what God has said. And I know people may say, well, you're just a simplistic fundamentalist. You just believe the Bible. I sure do believe the Bible. That's why I'm going to heaven, and if you don't change what you believe, you're going to hell, and I can't help you unless you believe, because the Bible says that if we come to God, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I know we don't preach this exactly this way every single Sunday, but sometimes we just got to know the truth. There's not many ways to God. There's not many ways to miracles. There is but one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Do you know him today? Let's sing. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
It's, it's better, amen, than somebody <laughs> handing you a million dollars. It's better than somebody telling you they love you and they want to marry you. I mean, all those may be good things, but this is even better. Because the God we're singing about, the God we're talking about is a God who can take any situation and circumstance you face and turn it around. And God is turning some things around for people in this place today. <laughs> There's a line in the sand you just have to step over. <laughs> Hallelujah. You have to step past your pride, past your dignity, past all those things that would hold you back and just say, here I am, Lord, take me. Whatever you can do with me, do it. I'm yours. I'm your servant to command. I'll serve you all the days of my life. If you don't know Jesus right now, you just need to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me a new creation in Christ. I repent of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me, and I believe that he rose from the dead on the third day, and I take him right now as my Lord and my Savior. And thank you, Father, I will serve you all the rest of my life. And if you're doing that now, tell somebody before you leave here today, testify and declare to the goodness of God. And you can join us as we sing, My salvation's in the name of Jesus. seated. Satan is obligated to obey God's word out of your mouth just as when it came out of the mouth of Jesus. I know that sounds like sacrilege to some people. I know that almost sounds like blasphemy, but before you throw that away, just understand that when God's word comes out of your mouth, it is Jesus using your mouth. And just like the devil had to obey Jesus when he said it is written. The devil has to obey you when you say it is written. 
That's why it's important to know what's written. And Satan can't resist the name of Jesus. Of all the names in the world, he can put up with all of them except that one. And that's the name at which demons tremble. That's the name above every name. Above every name. And that's the name by which we're called. We are proud, in a good way, we're proud to be called Christians. Hallelujah. In front of you in the seat are the, uh, is the cup and the bread. If you, uh, those of you who've been here before, you know about that. The, peel the top back and you can get the bread. Peel the other layer and you'll have your juice. And we're going to receive communion. We do this every month. And, of course, at different times we say different things about it. If you stay with us a while, you'll, you'll get more and more of the picture of what's going on. But today, we want to suffice to say that the bread represents, of course, the broken body of Jesus. And when Jesus took the bread at the Last Supper with the disciples, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. I can't take this and take the bread and think about the body of Jesus without thinking about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self, Peter said, looking back at the cross, you know, in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 700 years before looked ahead to the cross. Matthew 8, 16 and 17, Matthew recorded what he actually saw and witnessed in the ministry of Jesus, when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Why? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So Matthew, inspired by the Holy Ghost to write, gave us a Holy Spirit-inspired commentary on what Isaiah 53 meant. So Peter comes along years later after Jesus has already ascended to the Father. The church is established and going. And he says, looking back at, at what happened, because he was alive and well, of course, then, <coughs> he says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live into righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now I know again, Theological confusion arises when people say, well, that's just all spiritual. But if we believe scriptures must be uh, reconciled one to the other, then how would we reconcile that with Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If I cut my hand and it got healed, Nobody would say, I have a new hand. And so, what kind of healing is he talking about in 1 Peter 2.24? If, uh, if it was spiritual, then that means you didn't get and you weren't made a new creature. The old creature got healed. Well, that's not biblical. We know that's not true. It's one of the great, great blessings of being a Christian is that we are a new creature. So you, you didn't get healed 
you died, the old you died, and a brand new person was resurrected. That's what the whole, the whole uh, thing of water baptism is about. It's an outward testimony that the old person is dead and buried, and a new person is raised up. All that to say, Peter wasn't referring to spiritual healing. He dealt with the spiritual things in the beginning of the verse, but he did what Matthew 8, 16, and 17 did. He did what Isaiah the prophet did. He made sure for us to understand that just as Jason testified and ministered today to us at the offering time, that divine healing is not an addendum. It's not something that might happen, may not happen. It may be his will. We don't know for sure. We hope it is. No, it's his will. I remember when just it's like, you know, you know, lights that are dimmable, you know, you got lights like that at home maybe. You can turn them up and they're just a little bit of light and you can turn them all the way up. Well, kind of that thing happened to me a few months ago. I knew 1 Peter 2.24 dealt with healing in the redemption. I knew what Isaiah 53 was about. I knew what eight, Matthew 8.16 and 17 was about. But the spirit of wisdom and revelation just began to open to me as I was meditating and seeking God. The fact that in the mind of God, everybody say in the mind of God. In the mind of God, when I received my salvation and my sins were remitted and taken away, my, no, no record held against me ever again of that. At the same time, through the same redemptive work of Jesus, on the same cross, on the same day, through the same personality, Jesus, that my sins were remitted, my sicknesses and diseases were carried away from me. And that in the mind of God, I'm as much healed as I am saved. So if after the service today, I'm tempted as I'm driving down the road, Pull in the first service station I find and go in and rob it. What am I going to do? I'm going to say, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that. What am I going to do? I'm going to resist such a thing. I mean, I'm not really tempted to do that, but I'm just using the crazy example here. I would resist it. Well, the next time pain comes to my body, the next time anything from that line begins to come, I need to do the same thing. Just like I'm not a robber, I'm not sick. If you can get that revelation, it'll change your life. Amen. So let's take this piece of bread and receive it for what it really stands for, the broken body of Jesus. Yes, he became sin for us, but he also became sick for us. He became poverty for us. He became the curse so that we can be blessed. So we receive this today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, we pray and thank you for the cup. For us, this represents the blood of Jesus, the blood of the covenant, the price that was paid to seal it all, the price of our redemption. We were bought from the hand of the enemy and from the curse of the law, bought so thoroughly and completely that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And now we are yours. So, Lord, we know you take really good care of your stuff. You're a wonderful Father.
And we say, Lord Jesus, we honor you and we honor your mighty and matchless name for the blood you shed for us. An event, a time-space event that occurred 2,000 years ago, but because of its spiritual nature, is outside of time and eternal and forevermore. We will be able to spend a glorious time in the presence of the Father because of the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Father. We receive it now in Jesus' name.